Hello, welcome back to Learn from a Layman. I'm Carl Christensen, back with Cameron Christensen, and today it's just us two. So, heaven help us, because... I'm sorry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, but you get what you get, and you keep listening because you know it's what's best for you. If you or you're just so bored, you want to listen to us. <laughs> I'd say we're actually incredibly entertaining, except that... Anyway, whatever. Okay. Um, I uh, think today we're going to tackle a very interesting subject, so please uh, share this, that we're going to talk today about phonetics. And phonetics is something that will link a lot of people deal with, um, either you spelling in school or your kids spelling in school or something like that. And you often curse uh, if you speak English, uh, the English language, because it's not phonetic. Today we're going to talk more about like the study of phonetics and what that means. Um, so we're going to we're going to start with a little bit of talk, talk about the International Phonetic Alphabet. Cameron, had you ever had you heard of the International Phonetic Alphabet before you just Googled it? Uh, no, I. Well, that's not true. I did know that there was a phonetic alphabet because I am a little bit of a nerd. And I liked, you know, watching um, My Fair Lady, you know, and that adaptation to Pygmalion. He does write in a phonetic language in his notepad, which no one could read except for him. Yeah, that's a good example. There are lots of, it's funny, there are lots of movies about linguists, though, and it makes it seem like they're incredibly interesting Um Generally, the job of a linguist is not as enthralling and, and uh, really fit for the big screen. But I guess when you try to play it like that, there have been a couple. You know, the Arrival um, is a, a more recent linguistic, uh, mm, yes. you know, show movie. But I like um, that anyway. show. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, okay, yeah. so the International Phonetic Alphabet um, is. Well, it's been around for a while now. Actually, I don't know what the uh, the origin of it is, but it, uh, it um, has all sounds produced in all languages of the world in one set. And for each sound, there is one symbol. And that gives you a the the ability, obviously, then to use that one alphabet, the, the that that phonetic alphabet to tra transcribe any language in the world. So essentially, if you know the international phonetic alphabet, um, you can then listen to any language. And obviously, you're not going to understand it. But if you slow it down enough, you record it, and then you go back, you should be able to uh, transcribe it. So given a particular sound, there's a uh, corresponding symbol for it. So you can write down something that you don't understand give it to somebody that speaks the language and they can read it and understand it. Um, and so that's pretty cool because um, most languages, um, the writing system does not exactly match the, uh, the, the spoken uh, language. And so if you have a non-native speaker of a language trying to <laughs> transcribe, you know, spoken language and then try to pass that on to somebody, it becomes essentially worthless. There's no, they're going to miss too many different sounds, too many different um, symbols that are, that need, are necessary for a native speaker to be able to you know, turn that back into a spoken language. Mm -hmm. With IPA, that's not the case. 
I see Cameron that you just looked up that the yeah. IPA was First 1888. Canadian. Yeah. And then revised a couple times in the next two decades. Also, we should remind people that IPA is the international uh, phonetic alphabet and not a beer. So, <laughs> well, it's also that. But um, <laughs> yes, the uh, it's taught in linguistics classes throughout uh, across the world. There are other systems. Um, there have been other attempts to make languages uh, and with phonetic, uh, you know. Uh, Esperanto, for example, I believe, I think Esperanto might actually even use IPA as its um, orthography system. Orthography is just a way to bring down. I, I think that might be the case. Um, it's been a while since I've looked into Esperanto, but phonetics um, is really useful in, in the way that it helps you understand the sounds that are possible. Um, and so it's something also that uh, I know there's a big, um, um, job market out there for uh speech language pathologists right people that help children that are struggling making particular sounds uh usually your speech language pathologists have some background in in phonetics being able to understand what sounds uh are possible what sound and what what movements the mouth makes and or the throat makes um and the vocal cords do uh whether or not they're vibrating in order to produce a particular sound helps them obviously then come up with a, a, a way to um, teach the child to produce that sound appropriately. Um, so the IPA, like I said, uh, used across languages. Uh, and so uh, what something that also comes with the IPA, though, is, is given different contexts, these um, different symbols, right? Like so for each sound in, in the, uh, of every language in the world, there is a corresponding IPA symbol. But in given different contexts, so different surrounding, uh, different environments, these symbols are produced slightly different. So you can imagine if you have a uh, an A right before an M, am, at the end of that A, your, your mouth is already starting to move towards opening um, uh, the air passage in the nose so that your the air can travel up to your nose which is what the what is necessary to create the m sound um and so at the end of the a in that case an am you have a, a nasal ending to that letter so it's actually slightly different so if you're doing a exact transcription of uh of a particular sound recording and you uh, want to be accurate which you do obviously as a linguist you're going to need to uh have um a particular symbol and there are diacritics is what they're called uh that you can then also add to your ipa um symbols in order to better uh describe what you're hearing what uh, what's being produced by the by the speaker so, i was a diacritic for once i've never had a good one. Oh my yeah okay uh yes so, you know what Okay, so we, we may I may have gotten uh, jumped into the deep end a little bit here. It is, um, I think it is really useful though, and, and I I I've been a proponent of uh, I've talked to people like, about this for a while. I wish that we taught, um, it's not just phonetics, but like a basic linguistics class to high schoolers, because what happens is you get your your first language learned very well, and then you start te uh, teaching high schoolers a second language or or before, wh whenever it might be. Um, without any particular 
framework on which to understand language. Just you're essentially just chucking a new language at them and saying, good luck, buddy. Figure this out one. You figured the first one out. You can figure out the second one. Um, huh. Right. So it doesn't work so well. Yeah, well, it doesn't usually. And that's, you know, depending on your, your language teacher and whatever, you know, level of uh, school that you had a language, you know, maybe you learn more or less of a language. But having a particular understanding of how language uh, is produced, the sounds of them, the, the meanings of them, it would be useful. But that's me in my soapbox that I talk about often about a linguistics class. So uh, a little bit more about phonetics. Um, the... Um, the, uh, another interesting, uh, this not a tangent, but another uh, another aspect of phonetics is, is something called phonemes, and and phonemes and phonetics are are different. They're they're but they're very related. A phoneme is a it's more about perception um, than it is actually production. So phonetics is production. So what when I'm actually making an a or an a or a t. What is my mouth doing? What's actually coming out? What what is what what sound waves are being produced? Um, pho, uh, pho, a phonemes a phone um, is more what I what I think I'm producing in my head, and or what is uh, what what is perceived by somebody when they hear uh, a sound, right? So um, in particular languages, different uh, sounds are not. Uh, they're not mean it, the difference between different sounds are not meaningful so uh f for example or uh, example <laughs> um in english if i say butter versus butter in that in that context uh, it might not be a great example but th that's there's no you're not going to say oh that's a different word right there he said butter as opposed to butter here's um, a good one mountain yeah, mountain <laughs> right that's yeah that's a that's a flap it's a it's called a flap and the um and, and in english and in, in that context there's no difference we as soon as we hear that mountain or whatever what's a glottal stop or our our mind just maps that right into that t even though that's not a t sound that we're hearing we don't we don't struggle with that we don't sit back and think wow what are they saying you know, it's automatically mapped in our mind to a T representation. And so that's a, that's a phoneme, right? And phonemes have different what's called allomorphs. And essentially, that's just different um, ways uh, to pronounce the same phoneme. So uh, I have, you know, a, a T sound. And, and if it's in, in between two vowels, um, that can turn into a flap. It can turn into a D. It can, um, you know, something like that. Um, and and P's and B's. Once again, just depending on the context, all of a sudden these, uh, the idea of this this letter um, actually takes on different phonetic properties when it's actually put into in a, in a, in a language. So. Um, okay, that's good. But what happens when? I'm on the phone and I'm trying to take someone's name down and I don't hear an N, but they say an N, you know? So then we say, you know, like Nancy or sure. instead of Mike, what, what is that? 
there probably is a uh, linguistic word uh, term concept there. Um, uh, I can't off the top of my head come up with it for you, but um, I, I think it's it demonstrative of the fact that in um, in language we very much rely, and this is that <laughs> we see this all the time right now. I think I may have uh, mentioned this in podcasts past. Now, in the last nine months at least, we very much rely on more than just the sound. Um, we rely on context and uh, audio and visual cues, and so visual cues are are gone on the phone. And so where you can look at the mouth, if you don't know if it's an N or an M that somebody's saying, instead of having to say Nancy or Mary or whatever, if if you're in person, you just look at their mouth, right? Because you can tell by looking at their mouth, oh, that was an N. You can't anymore. We're all wearing masks. Well, that, exactly. And that's, yeah. So that's one of the issues why masks are so difficult, right? When you are talking to somebody and maybe I've, you remember this every time you go to the drive-thru, right? Um and that's regardless of whether or not you're wearing a mask. But now, even if you uh, are going to you know, get a takeout or whatever at the, at the restaurant, you go up, they're wearing a mask, you're wearing a mask. You have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what you're saying. Then there's a piece of plastic in between you as well. And so now all of these clues are, uh, cues are completely gone. It's the, the phonetics, the audio sound, the, the actual waves are, are getting muffled. And so all of a sudden your whole language um, – perception is, is uh it's hampered it's handicapped and all of a sudden now you don't that's why it's so difficult um they're producing the sounds the sounds are mostly getting to you but all the other cues that that you generally use um to understand and and to better map what they're saying into um you know a word and then a sentence those are gone and uh, and you now have to deal with just some very muffled audio sounds which as you can imagine we don't always do well it does give you a bit of um empathy i don't know if you can feel empathy for a computer but you can imagine that's kind of what computers uh, deal with when they do speech recognition um and, and speech recognition has improved substantially over the last you know 15 years um, even to the point where now it's pretty good. Um, but without being able to, uh, speech recognition that can also train a camera on your mouth is going to be better than the speech recognition that just has to go on audio. So, um, and, and that's kind of what we get, right? We get the, the sound and the, and the visual usually. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, something that we have to deal with these days, hopefully. Not again for too too much longer, but so we're saying our speech programs could work better on a computer if we had a camera that was in conjunction to the uh, learning. I, I, I don't. I item. Yeah, I'm, I almost guarantee the answer is yes. I haven't read this the research in a long time. I've been out of school for a long time, but um, yes, I mean generally, once again, you can you can just do you know your your basic um uh test of that situation by just saying okay talk to somebody while you look to their mouth looking at their mouth now close your eyes and listen to somebody um if you know them very well then maybe there's no difference maybe because you have all the information built up for them um that you need so you don't need the visual cues as much 
but if you're listening to a new speaker, let's say I work at a, uh, a retail store and somebody new walks up and I can't see their mouth uh, versus I can see their mouth, uh, it's going to be a very different uh, outcome based on how many times I have to repeat, ask them to repeat what they said. So um, I feel strongly without ha even having to look at the at the research that, yes, a camera trained on somebody's mouth would make a massive difference in the ability for of a computer to recognize sounds. Now, whether or not the computer, I mean, computer power has, you know, exponentially grown over the last 20 years, um, the ability to map uh, the sounds and the image together and being able to in real time turn that into you know speech recognition i'm guessing is already there uh, given the amount of computing power we have these days um i'm sure 10 or 15 years ago that would have been a little bit more challenging but um yeah so the answer is yes so it's just depending has someone written the program yet exactly exactly and my my, my go-to on this one is uh, yes, there is no new thing under the sun. Um, I meant that to not be sound as sad as it is, uh, as I made it sound. But you know, generally that's a good thing because people are out there doing uh, lots of interesting things. So, um, all right, let's see any other phonetic uh, information we want to talk about. So we talked about. Uh, phonemes, we talked about alpha phones, we talked about uh, the IPA and transcriptions. Um, there are lots of interesting um, applications of uh, uh, computer applications, sorry, uh, that, that, can, that we could talk about here for a while. I want to briefly touch on, uh, we already touched on speech recognition. The other, the, the flip of that is um, text to speech. Uh, and that's obviously taking the um, the text and turning it into computer speech, and you, you hear that with you know Siri or um, uh, Android, what is it? Bixby, yeah, yeah Alexa, Alexa. You know, all those different things. Yeah, so um, and that once obviously as all these things have has gotten a lot better in the last fifteen years uh, to the point where it's very good now. Um, what I remember is that um, the, the way that they've gotten a lot better. So it used to be that they tried to, um, given a particular, that they'd have to take the text, uh, segment it, um, and then given each letter, you know, assemble and then tell the computer to read uh, each, you know, uh, in that case, it would be a. Um, Allophone that they're feeding like a transcription into a computer and saying this is what you need to read. Uh, my my memory is my college class is that they were going more towards I don't remember if the term was uh, they're using syllables and they would have the onset and then the coda of a number of different syllables you know there because there's those are countable um, in, in any particular language they'd have um, those recordings and then they'd essentially uh, have some computer algorithm that would smooth them together, and that's how they got the text-to-speech to sound far better than the very metallic and often unintelligible versions of in the 2000, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s versions of text-to-speech. Um, so I'm sure there there's probably even more 
there have been more changes since the last time I looked. It's not my area of expertise, but um, but yeah, they, they they take the phonetics is a very important part of it. For, uh, certainly, um, being able to feed words and and then take from a word the actual phonetic uh, meaning, uh, the transcription of it, uh, map that into something that the computer can then pull sound files or or be able to um, synth- synthesize different sound waves together to make it sound um more human um so lots of lots of progress in that area in the last 10 or 15 years is all yeah well i would also imagine now with some of the large companies that most things go through that there are user profiles that they've set up that just carry over from the devices that you use so yeah so that's the more information that you have on a person the easier it is to do a better uh right recognition right so that's speech recognition and that is very much true if you can um if you can train on a particular person that's like i said before like uh, in our day-to-day you know if if so we're brothers so we happen to have seen and heard each other talk a lot well i meant like microsoft tracks everything that i do and say and so does google well that that i'm getting there hold on okay so as humans, we, we do that with each other, right? Um, the, yeah. There's this theory of language um, that we, that essentially we we record all these instances of essentially everything in language, um, and we we use them all, um, and so we we have this huge bank of of knowledge, and and we and we classify it in particular ways in our brain, our neurons. We've got billions of them, and we use them very well, um, and so. Yeah, we we essentially have particular models uh, for um, for different people, and so uh, all these instances we've trained our our language models for our phonetics models for all these different people, um, and so now um, we we can do that pretty well, and and, and then obviously. It, it it does generalize very pretty well across the speakers of a language, especially in a particular region, as you as you can imagine in different areas. Um, you know, if I if I go up to somebody that's uh, learned English in um, you know the, the in Australia or Canada or England uh, versus here, sometimes if they're talking quickly, I'd be like, I don't. I don't know what you're saying. Slow down. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's an example of our, our language models breaking down. Um, so now you can imagine, like I said, Microsoft, um, Apple, Google, uh, Amazon, they're saving our, they've got lots of data built up about us, right? Uh, and they, I don't, I mean, obviously there's lots of laws and rules about what they can save, and what, uh, but if they can even just abstract some of it, if they can take it and, and, and abstract and say, okay, well, I, I can't save all this according to the law, but I can essentially take some rules. I can make some rules and keep those and then dump the data. Um, and so uh, that's some some uh, some of the t- types of things that they might be using our data for and or um, in order to better, yeah, better train a, a recognition engine so that Siri can better understand you or Alexa or whatever else. So that they can say, okay, I know how he talks. I know what he says. Um, he, you know, speaks in a particular way. Or this is a child's voice, a different ver- voice uh, recognition 
um, challenge there. So, and so they are probably, once again, not my area of expertise as much, but are trying to um, do the same type of thing that we do as humans. And that will take us to another area that I, I'm at least cursorily familiar with, and that's neural networks. Um, neural networks are um, a recent, I think, deep neural nets is um, what uh, is a machine learning uh, algorithm. I'd say du jour, but it's no longer du jour. It's literally just the it's the gold standard machine learning algorithms. Uh, and deep neural nets are essentially a way to take all this data like um, that we just talked about and build a model um, that will help you um, get the right out uh, output given a particular input. So imagine, um, let's see, well, uh, this is used in lots of different scenarios now, but uh, for speech recognition, I, I believe they're using deep neural nets um, and they're doing that uh, in a couple, a couple different levels. There used to be uh, language models, there used to be dictionaries, there used to be, um, I remember my terminology slipping me at this moment. It's been so long that there was an audio model. I don't, there's a sound model. Is that what it was called? Anyway, a different, um, but, and these models are essentially there so that, okay, we get in new data. We need to be able to quickly take that data, compare it to other examples of the word, you know, hat or something like that. And be like, okay, is this the word hat? Let's first, uh, you know, map this across, uh, use our model to try to figure out what, um, what the, what sound actually is incoming, and then let's try map that into a word, and what's the probability of that word being said? Um, and so, you know, that's that's some of the steps that we go we could we kind of go through as humans as well. Um, well, but the algorithm, the way the way that we map those together, and and the way that we weight particular information uh, was tricky for a long time. And, and well, I mean, not like it isn't now, but now we've got uh, um, deep neural nets, which is essentially just the way that we uh, interpret this information in the computer. So essentially we say, okay, here, uh, computer, here's a load of information, a lot of, of you know, sound files, a word uh, mapped into words. Um, here's a lot of information about what words are said and how often they're said. Um, and and now we're going to give you a sound file, and we want you to tell us what's in the sound file. Go. Um, and that's that's where the algorithm comes into play. Like, okay, well, how do we best do that? Well, now these deep neural nets um, essentially tell you, okay, well, um, I'm going to have lots of these different neuro, neuron, uh, neural transmitters. Uh, once again, my, my terminology might not be uh, correct here, but different... Um, spots where where it, it it's like a network of neurons uh, that this model has created and as one gets excited as one one essentially one matches better one one particular node of this uh deep neural net like like as if i'm about to say asthmatope uh if I start hearing as, okay, that, that node of this um, deep neural net is getting excited. It's saying, okay, I think I'm hearing this. And maybe am is also getting excited because maybe I'm hearing that as well. Well, one's going to win out eventually, but as they're both getting excited, 
the nodes behind them are starting to get excited. Um, uh, the probability of those ones are going up now. And um, essentially, it's once again, just a way to walk down that path of saying, OK, well, which one is it? And oh, I see that this one's probability is significantly higher um, or, or this one you know, happens. Um, and, and so it's this deep neural wet net way of saying this is the way I'm going to walk down this path and try to figure out what's the, the correct way to use this information. So as I said that might not be a great explanation if you want to go to a machine learning specialist or uh, or a, a uh, it's ASR is the term for automatic speech recognition that's uh, you know your uh, Siri type of um, recognition stuff um, they, they might have a better explanation uh, for you but that's kind of your layman which is what we're going for a layman explanation uh, plus some let's play plus a little a couple college classes. Um, but yeah, deep neural uh, nets, uh, really interesting. Say, I, I didn't feel too layman on that one. <laughs> okay, I'm just giving the caveat that uh, I know that people, and this goes back to our previous podcast as well, we do our best to not give fake news. But I know that every once in a while we've given some stuff that you could Google and you're like, wait a second, that's not exactly true. And that happens. And we want to be as correct as possible and we will continue to improve. Um, but yeah, we're not uh, always the 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 Bible truth, I guess, um, when it comes to some of these things. Which this is more of a, a just becoming familiar with the the idea and the uh, concept, um, and then you can, if you if it interests you enough, dive down that rabbit hole, um, and and then let us know what you found out and what we may have gotten incorrect, um, and. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I know there have been instances where I've listened to our podcast in the past and thought, oh, I actually know that's not true. Um, yeah. But uh, um, so try yeah. our best. I find it interesting you say Bible's truth because the Bible can be misconstrued <laughs> fairly well, easily. Okay. <laughs> right. Maybe exactly. the I, look, mathematical proof. There you go. Exactly. We're not um, we're not axiomatically true. There you go. How about that? <laughs> we're not. Uh, uh, now you're going to have to tell people ax axiomatically. OK, right. Uh, so an axiom <laughs> is is the assumed an assumed truth. Um, if you're trying to solve a, like a mathematical uh, a mathematic uh, yes. a problem, um, then you're often given axiom saying, you know, that X is true. X is an axiom. So if you um, axiomatically means essentially like beyond question, it is established truth. And um, so that's what I'm saying. We're not we're not that per se I'm saying we're not fake news, darn it. But we're uh, we're just here to. Uh, to I like inform. to think of us more as the onion network. You know, we try to <laughs> right. inform people. But if we get some stuff wrong or totally out of the ballpark. It's okay. You'll just laugh at us and have a good day. Yeah. Well, I think we're a little different than the onion. Um, isn't the onion uh, supposed to be satire? Uh, I'm pretty sure the pick. onion is, is supposed to be satire. <laughs> ours is not supposed to be satirical. Uh, maybe occasionally inaccurate. Let's call ourselves the 90% accurate podcast. Um, that would also be a good name for us. Um you know, that's a, a solid A minus. And I think that's about the kind of um, information. So hopefully w with this information, you um, find it approachable. 
So I know sometimes we might get a little bit technical on some of our physics podcasts, potentially even this one when we start talking about deep neural nets or phonetics and allomorphs and those types of things. But um, hopefully uh, this gives you a bit of a taste. And like I said, and this so the well, idea of learn, learn it from a layman is to say, okay, this is uh, we're going to get some some basic information about this, maybe even some in-depth information when we invite people on like Peter, uh, Peter Vogel, who we had on. A couple podcasts ago to talk about quantum physics. Our brother Matt talks often about his specialties, and and those get a little bit beyond your your layman. But even those, like I said, we don't we don't do a you know, it's not like we sit and do a, a 20 part physics podcast where we talk about particular um, math uh, physics rules or math uh, equations and then sit and talk about them for an hour. This this isn't a college exam. Uh, there are no tests after this. So no, but uh, if you do listen to us, hopefully you'll score a C or better on your test. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Um, yeah, Just remember, I, I, B's get degrees, C's <laughs> get you in trouble. Okay, so we're gonna round this back to phonetics before we finish off this podcast. So once again, when we talk about um, phonemes, we're talking about the um, the uh, perception of a uh, a letter or uh, a, a sound in a, a speaker's mind. So when I'm saying the word mountain, I think I'm saying a T in the middle, even if I sometimes say mountain. Uh, in my mind and in this and the person that listens to me, unless they're not native speaker and they don't understand what I'm saying, that, that is both perceived by the speaker and the hearer as a T, regardless of what actual allophone, the thing that's getting spoken, um, is produced by my mouth and and, and heard by the uh, the um, the hearer. So that's allophones, right. and, and then once again back to phonetics, the actual sounds, the transcriptions. So if I'm going to listen to somebody talking in in, in English and or a different language, and I want to write those things down, I can use this. Uh, I can use a, the IPA, the International Phonetic Alphabet, which has a a one to one mapping of sounds to uh, symbols and like I said the one to one it that's the idea and that is the truth but there are given a particular context changes to those um, those sounds uh, to those phonetic uh, symbols and so then you diacritics as well that can then add particular information about the context um, so that is the uh, general idea behind phonetics I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about. I had two classes on it in high school, in high school, in college. Um, a lot of it was transcription, pro, uh, practicing, um, and then looking at sound files actually too, and trying to figure out uh, different sound waves, um, how to recognize those, and be able to look at the sound <laughs> at a sound wave and say, okay, that's probably a T, or that's probably a D, um, which is not something that uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about here. But if you ever get frustrated with English orthography, English spelling rules. Um, teach yourself IPA. Uh, it will be not particularly useful day to day, but it will give you the personal satisfaction of saying, well, I might not be able to spell it in English, but I can darn well write it uh, in a very phonetic and universally um, used language that is, uh, um, yeah, that, that anyone would be able to read. So just as a reminder, before you submit your paper in IPA, make sure that is an accepted format. 
I'd love to see a uh, like a, uh, a, a a thesis. I wonder if that's ever been done. Like a uh, outside know. of linguistics, maybe it's been done in linguistics. But you could imagine a, a thesis done, like a doctoral thesis, written in IPA and handed in. That would be wonderful. But, so um, for any of those that wanted to go the extra mile with their doctorate, write two. One in IPA <laughs> and I'm one of sure the other, and submit both and see if your teachers get a crack out of it. Yeah, good. Good luck. I uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. For any of our listeners in Utah that attend SEU and may have our father as an English teacher, <laughs> feel free to submit at least something in IPA. Yeah. And see what happens. <laughs> good, right. Um. I did hear this reminds me of we'll finish off with this uh, questionable anecdote, which I believe is true, though I don't remember where what the source of it is. I believe that in uh, a um, university in Europe somewhere and I don't once again, I don't even know how long ago this is um, a, a student found that they could submit their their doctoral thesis in Latin. It was one of the old rules of the, of the university. Back this from was back. like. Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah, I feel like that's probably true. Yeah, and um, and so they they did it. They wrote the whole thing in Latin and turned it in, knowing that their professors would not be able to read it, but that according to the 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 laws of the of the university, it need it, they had to accept it. Um, and that it got got uh, got kind of off on that uh, that technicality. So. Um, I don't believe that's the case with IPA, but like I said, IPA can be useful in a couple of situations. If you're going to be a speech language pathologist, or you're going to be a linguist, um, or if you just want to be able to better understand the sounds of different languages, um, you know, look up your IPA um, uh, tables, and uh, and they'll they'll show you like yeah the different types of sounds where the sounds are produced and the symbols uh, corresponding to where uh, to that that sound this is where it'd be helpful if we had a visual learning classroom instead of just an audio learning classroom <laughs> that's true someday when we're huge which um yeah. <laughs> so if anybody you want to actually know what he's talking about you can do a quick browser search or a google search i think google's an actual word now so yeah we can say google search Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you can see the symbols and how they look cool, like a D3 or a T and a funny looking. <laughs> yeah, that's G. G. <laughs> yeah. Post alveolar African. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Looks anyway. like some Greek symbol. And, yep. you know. <laughs> it is really interesting, though. It gets, uh, you know, their African sounds uh, produced with that. The click sounds and th those are on IPA as well. So um, we can so get we can learn Afrikaans. All right. Afrikaans is is Dutch, darn it. Well, we can have a different. Well, I think you mean like Zulu or or um, I don't remember what the languages are that have the click sounds in it, but it's not Afrikaans. Afrikaans is essentially Dutch. So well, for those I'll of our South South, South South African listeners. Uh, I'm, they might be cursing at me now. It's close to Dutch, darn it. Okay, it's close. I know it's a different language, but as a Dutch speaker, Afrikaans, it's close. I mean, it's really close. The first time I saw Afrikaans written down, I had I stopped and looked for a while, and I was like, somebody misspelled a lot of words here. 
I was wrong. It's just a different language. But all right. So with that, I'm going to leave you. Uh, we're going to leave our, our listeners with that wonderful. Uh, <laughs> that wonderful uh, feeling of did I actually learn something or did I waste my time? Well, hopefully the former, not the latter. But uh, anyway, we got uh, we got a new uh, intro and we've got some new uh, music to take us out here. So hope you enjoyed um, our podcast today. Uh, share with your friends. Um, and if you need want a particular subject covered by us, uh, let us know. We, we invite yeah. lots of lots of uh family friends in here i'll tell you what i i will give someone a ten dollar gift card to starbucks if they actually give us a decent comment i i will i will i will guarantee that for the first uh three people to give a good good decent comment that we can actually answer or suggestion for us i will give a ten dollar gift card they say that the comments help, uh, su- subscribing helps, and we have some subscribers. Um, we, we mostly have people that listen to us on Spotify. They find us on Spotify. They listen to one of our physics podcasts. They listen to our orbital mechanics podcast, a lot of our technical podcasts, which are great. Uh, hopefully this one uh, is not untechnical, but maybe not obviously near as te- uh, technical. But um, for those people that are listening to this one, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, it's supposed to help our podcasts and that so we've got uh, lots of other interesting podcasts. We're going to we need to get back to our history um, series that we're doing. We're about we're going to get the 1930s here soon. I promise for those you of you really who really want to cliffhanger get to the start of World War Two. Yeah, exactly. We got the 1900s to the 1920s and then we've left people hanging. I'm sure they're with bated breath wondering what the learn it from a layman po- uh, podcast crew will talk about in the 1930s but uh, we're gonna hit that just one wanted to stay in the jazz era you know <laughs> in the meantime um hopefully you enjoyed this one and we will see you guys back again next podcast bye